I wanted to take a break this morning from our study in First John, given that it was Mother's Day. And I, I wanted to do this because as we live in this world, we recognize that the culture has drastically changed and is changing around us. And every day we are confronted with things that oppose the very word of God. Proverbs says that righteousness will exalt a nation, but sin, sin when it is on Main Street, is a reproach to any people. And we recognize it everywhere we look today. And what we see on the news, what we read in the newspapers, what we hear in the workplace and in school is contrary to so much of what we read in God's word. We see it just day by day as we think about the transgender issue and things going on there. And even you're asked often in the workplace, uh, what are your preferred pronouns? Who would have ever thought we'd have to tell people what our pronouns are? And then there's the abortion issue. These are things that are just always before us. And marriage, gay marriage. And I thought it would be just good today to remind ourselves, I'm not going to tell us here anything new, But I think we just need to be reminded, as Peter often says, I'm writing these things just to remind you of things you already know. We want to speak today. I I would like to speak about just the good gifts that God has given to us, and especially as we think about motherhood. Motherhood witnesses to God's wisdom and his goodness. So today we would like to take this opportunity just to speak about some of these good gifts. So I want to begin by speaking, first of all, about the wisdom and the goodness of God that is witnessed in creation. The wisdom and the goodness of God that is witnessed in this created order and the way that God created things from the very beginning. So we'll be looking at Genesis 1 and 2 and Psalm 19 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is, uh, uh, their voice is not heard. So the psalmist David says that wherever you look in this created universe, it is declaring to us something about our God. It is declaring his glory, his majesty. It doesn't have a a literal voice that we hear, but everywhere we look, we see the wisdom of God who has created all things. And it is for his glory. Paul, writing to the Romans, says, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that men are without excuse. Whether you look through a microscope, a telescope, wherever you look, it is declaring to us the glory and the majesty and the existence of God himself. Two of the things that we want to consider as we think about the world or creation declaring the glory of God Two of the things in particular are, as we look at creation, we see the wisdom. We see the wisdom of God that is displayed 
in his creation. I mentioned Jordan earlier. He's an architect, and Jordan designs buildings and homes and things like that. And uh, his purpose is to take the knowledge that he has and to build things that will be useful. And so behind every building or any structure you see, there is knowledge, there is wisdom that has gone into the planning of that. And as we look at the world in which we live in the creation of Genesis 1, it is declaring to us something of the wisdom of Almighty God. So the psalmist in Psalm 104 says this, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions or your creatures. The great and wide sea in which are innumerable teeming things, living things, both small and great. Psalm 136, O give thanks to the Lord. His mercy endures forever to, who, to him who alone does great wonders, for his mercy endures forever. To him who by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever. To him who laid out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endures forever. To him who made great lights, his mercy endures forever. The sun to rule by day. For his mercy endures forever. The moon and stars to rule by night. For his mercy endures forever. Behind this creation, it is declaring to us the wisdom of God. A God who is infinitely wise. And it is seen and detected in everything that he has made. So Proverbs 3.19 says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. And so when we think about God's creation, his design for marriage, family, home, motherhood, this is an expression, a demonstration, a display of his infinite wisdom. But it is also a display of his goodness. When Jordan designs a building, he designs it with the idea of being something that will be useful and good. And hopefully it's not going to fall fall down on you and it will meet all the codes. So it will be a good thing. When God, who is good, creates, he creates that which is good and useful. God himself is good. Uh, Exodus 34, 6 says, The Lord... The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding, abounding in goodness and truth. He abounds in goodness. It's a part of who he is. And therefore, anything that God would do will always be characterized by that. It will be good. It will be right. And therefore, as we look at Genesis here, over and again, we see half a dozen times here, as God is creating in that creation week, what he does is good. What he creates is good. Some examples we see in verse 4, the Lord saw the light, that it was good. We see in verse 10, God called the dry land earth and gathering together of the waters. He called seas and God saw that it was good. And in verse 12, and the earth brought forth grass and herb, 
who yields seed according to his kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. We're living in a time where we're seeing that right now in the spring. The earth coming to life again, seed bearing fruit. And some of you will be planting some gardens, maybe you already have. And this is good. This has been designed by God, and it is good. The psalmist says the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. It is full. When we get to the end of chapter 1 here in Genesis, verse 31, we read these words. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. It was very good. It's kind of like we might think of a Rembrandt as he is putting the finishes strokes, finishing strokes on a painting. And he makes the last stroke and he stands back and says, it's finished. It's good. And he puts his name on it. So God, as he has finished this creation week, he steps back as it were and he says, it is very Good. Everything about it is very good. That doesn't fit the evolutionary theme, does it? It doesn't fit with that kind of thinking about origins. No, from the very beginning, as God created this world, it was very good for the good of his creatures. Very good. So, all of this is as a result of infinite wisdom infinite wisdom and the infinite goodness of God. God's fingerprints are all over his creation. And it's amazing when we think about Genesis chapter 1, how how brief it is. Just these short little verses talking about that he made the heavens and the earth. And then just a little parenthetical statement. He made the stars also. Boom, there they are. Amazing. He made the stars also. But what we find as we come to the end of chapter 1 is there's now going to be this focus on what we might say is the climax of this creation week. And what is that but the creation of man, the creation of the man and the woman. This is the pinnacle of Genesis chapter 1. This is our focus today. And it says in verse 26, Then God said... So we've gone through this, this creation of all these various things. And then, as it were, God is having a council meeting here. And it says, let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. And so here is the special attention that is be, being given now to this gift that he has given to us, to humanity. And that is life itself and a people that are made in his own image and likeness. So as we focus on this today, we see, secondly, the wisdom and the goodness of God that is witnessed in gender. For in these verses, we are told that God is making man in his own image. In the image of God, he is making them both male and female. All right, both of them made in his image, but there is this distinction 
within humanity of those who are male and those who are female. They are similar in many ways, but they are distinct and they are different from one another. He is the God who has designed gender and sexuality, and he has called this good. He did not create a woman that could reproduce of herself. He could have done that, I guess. But what he did in his wisdom and his goodness was to make a man and a woman, and this is the context uh, for a family. And so he made male and female, Genesis 5, 1 and 2, when it gives the genealogy of Adam. It says there, in the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. As we think about gender, this is one of God's good gifts designed by infinite wisdom. It is something that is fixed. It is not fluid, as we're being told in our day. This is God's good gift. He made them male. He made them female. But also, we see that he made them in his own image. They are set apart from the animal world, quite different from the animal world, and they're even set apart from the angelic realm. They are created in his own image and his likeness. They are equal in dignity and in being And they both share together as image bearers of God. As we think about image bearers in the Geneva Bible, it has this footnote. The scope of God's image in humanity is not specified in Genesis 1, but the context of the passage helps to define it. Genesis 1 sets forth God as personal, rational, having intellect, having will, creative, ruling over the world that he has made, and morally admirable in that all he creates is good. Plainly, God's image will reflect these qualities. The human capacity for communication and relationship with both God and other humans appears a further facet of this image. And so there is this dignity that is associated with humanity We have been made in the image and the likeness of God. There is a sanctity as well with this humanity. There's a sacredness with God has created it, and he has made man in his own image, and he has designed within that that there be male and female. So there's this sanctity with it. David, when he writes that wonderful psalm, Psalm 139, You form me in my mother's wombs. You knit me together in my mother's womb, and I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. So God, as he created and formed David in the womb, he said, Lord, you knew me there. You were the one that knit me into my mother's womb. You were the one who is forming and shaping me. And we could all say this, say this, you gave to me the gender that I have. This was by your sovereign will, by your decree, that you made me to be the man that I am. Or a woman could say the same thing. God, you designed me, you made me, you wove me in my mother's womb to make me to be a woman. 
And this is your infinite wisdom, and this is your goodness in doing this. And so we recognize the sanctity of life, don't we? Life is something that is sacred in or out of the womb, something to be protected and to be cared for. And it's amazing in our culture, isn't it, that people are fighting for the right to be able to take the life of a child in its mother's womb the place that should be the safest place for a child, a baby in formation. And we're reminded today, just again, of God's good gift, the gift of life, and it is sacred, given to us by God. Jesus weighs in on this in Matthew 19, that God, in the beginning, he says, when in the context of a debate about divorce, He says, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning, he made them male and female? When God created, he made them male and female. This is God's design and this is God's doing. So God's wisdom, his goodness is witnessed in gender. But thirdly, we see the wisdom and goodness of God is witnessed in marriage and family. As we get to chapter 2, having said, this is good, this is good, It is stated in chapter 2, in verse 18, there's something that is not good. Not that it's morally something that is immoral, but something that's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And all the men said, amen, okay. It wasn't very hearty there, but yeah, it's not good to be alone. And so we know the account here where God has Adam to name all of the animals and he finds there's none, nothing there that is compatible to him, nothing that is similar to him. Remember that God puts him into a deep sleep and he takes from his side a rib and he forms and shapes a woman. And when Adam awakes, I think he said, wow, that's more like it. Here is one who is like me who is compatible to me, who is suitable to me, but wonderfully different from me. She's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And we see here that God provides from the very beginning this relationship that is basic to human life, and that is a family and marriage. We read these words in Genesis 2 and verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There's a leaving and there's a cleaving. Leave father and mother. Be glued. Be joined to your wife. There's this binding relationship that God has established marriage to be. And it is something that is vitally important that we see it, that it is a covenant. It is a covenant of companionship. So a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and a new family unit unit is being established. Paul picks up on that in, in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives, even as you love yourself. And this is what Christ has done for us. He has loved us as his own wife. And there is this intimate relationship that exists. And in this relationship, it is for companionship. The two shall become 
one flesh. We were able to go to Jonathan Clare's wedding yesterday, and we watched as Jonathan and his bride poured into one jar sand from their separate jars, and they are mingled together in one. And a beautiful picture of marriage, of two lives that are being brought together in this close and intimate relationship with one another. This is God's good gift, designed by infinite wisdom. And it is this gift in which this blessing is known of marital intimacy and closeness, becoming soulmates, we could say. Albert Barnes says this idea of one flesh is becoming one flesh involves the complete identification of one personality with the other in a community of interests and pursuits, a union that is consummated in a physical union. This beautiful union, this intimacy of getting to know this person and becoming as one. What a wonderful gift that God has given and a blessing. This is also the context for family, isn't it? Back in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, there we read that God blessed them, this, this man and this woman, both image bearers, male and female. He blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over everything, every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the context in which sexuality is experienced in the context of marriage between a man and a woman, husband and a wife. This is the context in which God designed children to be raised up. What a wonderful gift from God to have children, to be able to bring them up. And so we see in Psalm 127, verse 3, children are a gift. They are a gift from the Lord. It is a special gift that God gives when he ordains that they are blessed to have children. And it is a gift from God. It is a gift. It's not a choice. It is a gift that God has given. And that leads us to the last point and being Mother's Day, the wisdom and the goodness of God in motherhood. To those that God has been pleased to allow them to be mothers, but all of us, we've had mothers. What a blessing that motherhood is. This Mother's Day, we thank God for this kind and gracious gift that he has given. As we think of genders, I think that God has made a male and female different in many different ways. And as we think about a mother, she is one who is nurturing, one who is very tender towards children, and I think God has constituted her in a way that's different from a man. Paul uses the illustration in 1 Thessalonians 2.7. He says, we were gentle among you. As we came into Thessalonica, we were gentle among you as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Paul says that's the way we were with you, just like a mother who cherishes, who cares for her children. 
This week I received some photos from our old neighbors where I grew up out in Westchester. And as I was going through those old photos, some that I'd never seen before, just reminded me again of the privilege that I had to have a, a godly mother. And it just caused me to give thanks to God for her and the blessing that she was to me. And I remember the night that she was dying in the hospital. As I was by her side with my other siblings, I was holding her hand there, and I just was looking at her hand. And I thought of all the things that those hands had done for me as a little boy growing up. All the things that she did with those hands. And what a blessing. Motherhood is one of God's good, precious gifts. And then, as we think of a mother, she is also one who is a nurturing and instructing mother, one who gives instruction. She not only nurtures and is tender in her care, but she also is one who gives instruction. Paul, as he writes to young Timothy, says, Timothy, I know of your mother and your grandmother, Eunice and Lois, and I know that from childhood you had heard the gospel. You had heard from God's word. You had heard as a child from infancy, from your earliest days, the things concerning salvation. Your mother taught you, instructed you, and led you, and your grandmother. What a blessing that was to him. Able to make you wise unto salvation. And one of the things the gift of a mother has and the privileges is to train and teach her children along with the father. But she is there to speak into their ear as Deuteronomy speaks about in just the whole course of life. Whether you're going down for a nap or whatever you're doing, you're able to speak truth about God into their life. Help to shape their world view as they grow up in this world. This was written by Charles Spurgeon over a, well over a hundred years ago. As he thought about his own mother, he said this, I am sure that in my early youth, no teaching ever made such an impression upon my mind as the instruction of my mother. Neither can I conceive that to any child there can be one who will have such influence over the heart as the mother who has so tenderly cared for her offspring. Never could it be possible for any man to estimate what he owes to a godly mother. Certainly, I have not the powers of speech with which to set forth my valuation of the choice blessing which the Lord bestowed on me in making me the son of the one who prayed for me and prayed with me. And on this day, as we think of Mother's Day, as we think of Genesis 1 and 2, in our world that is demeaning family, sexuality, and perversion is rampant all around us, I want us just to give thanks to God for his wisdom, for his goodness, in establishing what we find in Genesis 1 and 2. And we know that sin affects all of these things, don't we? 
And even in our own lives, we know that we're not the fathers that we should be or the mothers that we should be or the children that we should be. We've maybe not honored marriage as we should. And we are thankful for the gospel. We are thankful for the gospel of good news of a Savior who's come into this world to save sinners, to bring about a new creation, to bring about change. This is the grace and the mercy of God. But I want us today, as we go from here, just to be reminded again, living in the culture that we're living in, in the swamp that we are living in, to not lose sight of these good and precious gifts that God has given to us in his word and has revealed to us. As we close this morning, I'd like us to sing just another verse of that hymn that we sang earlier, 535. Just as we close, giving thanks to God for his goodness, for his kindness uh, to us. 535. And we're going to sing um, just the last verse. So let's stand together as we sing 535.